to Romans chapter 6, which in the Church Bibles is page 1132, and in the Large Print Bibles, page 1751. Romans chapter 6, and this evening we're going to look at verses 1 to verse 14. Well, at Easter time, it is just uh, wonderful, isn't it, to consider the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are so many ways as Christians that we consider and think about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we can look at the evidence to aid our faith in knowing for certain that Jesus is risen from the dead. We can preach a sermon on the evidence of the resurrection, and that's wonderful to do, isn't it? We can look at the meaning of the resurrection for us in terms of how we can be certain of forgiveness because he died for our sins but rose again from the dead. And it's awesome to think that we can be certain of the forgiveness of sins. We could look at the, the meaning for us in that we can have eternal life because Jesus is risen from the dead. And we can spend time thinking about the future hope that we have in Jesus. We can, as we looked at this morning, think about who Jesus is, that the resurrection shows that he is Lord and Messiah. And that to, because of who he is, we need to repent of our sin and find forgiveness and hope in him. There's so many things I could go on and on about the different ways that we can speak of the resurrection. But for this evening, I want us to consider the practical implications of the resurrection for right here and now. What does this, this mean for how I live today as a Christian? What does the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead mean for my everyday life? Not just my future hope, not just being sure that he is risen and I'm forgiven, but what about when I wake up and I go to work, or when I uh, spend time with my family, or whatever it is we do in our day-to-day -day lives, the resurrection has Im immense implications. It means everything, not just for our future, but for our today. And in Romans 6, Paul gives an explanation of what it means for us today. He talks about the resurrection life. Now, Romans is a book that explains the gospel to the Christians in Rome. And since it's included in the Bible, it explains the gospel to us as well. In chapter 6 in Romans, we come to Romans partway through. And in the preceding chapters, Paul has been explaining how we are sinners before a holy God. There is no way that we can save ourselves because we are sinners, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ, he has paid the penalty for our sin and we have been made right with God. Christ has paid the price for sin. We are completely cleansed. We are legally right with God. And as we get to the end of chapter 5, Paul says that even, it's so amazing that the more that we have sinned, the more God shows his grace. In other words, we can't out-sin God's grace. 
God's grace is so immense that our sin cannot be more than the grace that he has shown us. But this could cause an objection from some. An argument against what Paul has been teaching so far in Romans. Some might say, well, Paul, if God's grace is shown more the more that we sin, then surely we should keep on sinning. Because if God's grace is shown even more if we sin, well then let's sin all the more so God's grace can be shown all the more. Well, this objection Paul answers in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. And then goes on to explain that because of Jesus' resurrection, this objection is rubbish because the resurrection gives us such a radically new life that it impacts our relationship with sin in such a way that we can't keep going on sinning because we are dead to sin. Let's pick it up in chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is God's word. So verses 1 and 2 in chapter 6 set up the objection. The objection to the fact that God's grace is bigger than our sin. Paul basically says here, shall we keep sinning so God's grace can increase? But his answer is in verse 2, by no means. This is a, a strong saying by Paul, by the way. Uh, he's saying, no way, how can you be so stupid as to even think such a thing, is more of the meaning of what Paul is saying here. And then Paul builds an argument against this by showing that the impact of the resurrection impacts our lives in such a way that we are no longer ruled by sin. We are dead to sin, he says. 
And if we're dead to sin, we can't possibly keep on sinning so God's grace can be shown even more. How? How can this be so? Well, Paul builds an argument. And the first step in his argument is this. We have a new life united with Jesus. Throughout the passage that we've just read, there are lots of words about being united with Jesus. Here's a few. Look at verse 3. Baptized into Christ Jesus. Verse 4. Buried with him. Verse 5. United with him. Verse 6. Crucified with him. Verse 8. Died with Christ and live with him. And in verse 11, it talks of us being in Christ. So all of those uh, words, with him, with Christ, in Christ, all speak of a, of a union with Jesus. Well, what does union with Jesus actually mean? What do, what do we mean when we say we are united with Christ? Well, here is a, a simple definition. Union with Christ means that what happened to Jesus is counted by God as happening to us. What happened to Jesus is counted by God as happening to us. Well, what happened to Jesus? He died for sin, he was buried, and he rose again. And so Paul teaches here that we have died, been buried, and risen again. How? Well, Paul uses baptism. Look at verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we became Christians, the death of Jesus is our death. We are dead to sin. That's what we picture when we go through water baptism. We are picturing what Paul is talking of here. When we are baptized, we show that Jesus has died for sin. So we show Jesus has died. But we are also showing, I have died. I have died to sin. That has gone. It's been, it's been buried. I have died to sin. We appropriate that death to ourselves. And therefore, the benefits of the death of Jesus are given to us. We are dead to sin. But then, as in the Easter accounts, we are raised again. Look at verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So therefore, in this verse, means because of this, because we have died, or, and Jesus died, we are also buried with him. And if we are buried with him, we are raised with him. So the picture of baptism is this. We are de dead to sin, we have died, we are buried, and we come alive again to a new life. And because the benefits of the death of Jesus is that sin has been paid for, those benefits are given to us, and we are risen in a new life, a life where sin has been paid for, and we no longer have sin reigning over us. 
which we'll come on to in a moment. The death and burial and resurrection of Jesus was not just an example for us. It was not even only so that we could receive forgiveness. His death, burial, and resurrection is actually also what happens to us when we become believers. We are united with Jesus. We die, are buried, and are risen to a new life. Well, this all sounds uh, lovely. I am one with Jesus. I'm united with Jesus. We are one. But what does it actually mean for us? Paul said that we have union with Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection is our death, burial, and resurrection. And in verse 5, he begins with the words, for if. For if. He's about to explain what union with Jesus means. So he's told us what, what we, as Christians, we are united with Jesus. So what? Well, so what is in verse 5? For if. We have been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's repeating what we have just learnt. We have died, buried, and are risen. But verses 6 and 7 explains that union with Jesus means that we are free from sin's power. We are free from sin's power. And that is two, in two different ways. First of all, in verses five, uh, 6 and 7, we are dead to sin. Look at verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. As people outside of Jesus, so people not united with him, our body is ruled by sin. We are controlled by our own selfish desires and motives. Although we are capable of doing good, and although we do good deeds, everything that we do is tainted by evil. We are slaves to sin. We cannot break away from sin. Sin dominates our lives. If we are outside of Christ, Sin is a master that dominates us completely. And there is nothing we can do about it. But our old self that was dominated by sin is now dead. And we are no longer slaves of sin. We've been set free from sin. But we're not set free by remaining dead. Verses 8 to 10 explain that union with Jesus also means... We are alive to God. So verses 6 and 7, we are dead to sin, so we're free from sin. But verses 8 to 10, we are alive to God. So now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. When people are baptized... The, the question that I think we might get the most is something along the lines of, how long am I going to be underwater for? Can you be sure that I'm going to come back up? And so on. And my comment or answer to those questions is always the same. As Christians who are baptized, we can be thankful that Jesus rose again, right? 
because otherwise you'd be underwater a very, very long time. He rose from the dead, so we don't remain under the water. Otherwise, no one would get baptized, would they? And Paul says here that we haven't just died, we haven't just died to our old life and just Christians are therefore just dead people walking around. We also are alive. We live in him or for him. And that life is eternal life. Christ is raised and he is not going to die again. His defeat of death, it wasn't just a temporary process by which he got out of the grave, spoke to his disciples, went back in and rolled the stone back over. It was a permanent, eternal resurrection from the dead forevermore. He didn't go back into the tomb. And so as Christians, we are united with him. Our resurrection is not just some temporary phase that we go through. It is a permanent, everlasting union with Jesus that is an eternal life that doesn't just begin when we die and go to heaven, but is right now. On the cross, Jesus took, uh, on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. And death no longer has a mastery over him. He defeated it once and for all. And so Jesus' death draws a line under sin and death once and for all. Because he raised from the dead, it has no power over him. And neither, therefore, does it have power over us. And Paul summarizes this in verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. And if we are united with him, that is true for us as well. So if we're going to summarize verses 1 to 10, Paul's argument, we can summarize it like this. Sin and death have no power over Jesus. And if we're united to Jesus, sin and death have no power over us. Let me say that again. Sin and death have no power over Jesus. And if we're united to Jesus, sin and death have no power over us. Now to clarify, yes, we die physically, should the Lord not return first. And yes, we still battle against sin. But, and here's lifting out of what Paul's teaching here, death is not the end for us, we will be raised again. And sin does not have dominion over us. We have a new master and we don't need to sin. Sin still lingers. Sin still wants to master us. But we can turn to sin and say, no, you are not my master anymore. Well, this is uh, wonderful stuff. But as we come towards the end of this passage, we come to see the real application. Paul brings it home in verses 11 to 14. We are united with Jesus and so free from the power of sin by having a resurrective life. And so the application is this. So live what you are. It's no good having a head knowledge of the truth. A head knowledge that says, I know I'm united with Jesus. I know I have eternal life. This truth needs to be lived out from our hearts. And that's what Paul shows us in verses 11 to 14. In verse 11, he begins, in the same way. The same way as what? Well, in the same way that Jesus died to sin and lives to God, 
we need to apply that to ourselves. And how do we do that? He says, in the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, this does not mean that we need to pretend that we are dead to sin and alive to God as some kind of mind over matter trick or uh, mental mind game that that makes us say, I'm I'm, I'm not a sinner, I'm alive, and and, and keep telling ourselves that. It's not mind games that Paul is doing here. It means that we take in the truth and we live out the truth. As an, an illustration that's often used, and it's used because it's in the passage about slavery, is the illustration of slavery. In 1865, when slavery was abolished in the United States of America by the Emancipation Proclamation and, and after a civil war, all the slaves in America were given freedom. They were free. Now, the majority of slaves who were given their freedom continued to live as slaves. Sometimes this perhaps was for good reasons, if they had owners that they wanted to work for, but most just could not live out their newfound freedom. And so they remained in chains, being mistreated by cruel masters. One slave girl from Alabama said, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, except he set us free. And I don't know nothing about that either. The Constitution was changed. This slave girl was legally not a slave, but she stayed a slave. Paul is telling us here, you are no longer dead in sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are dead to sin. So live it. Live as you are dead to sin. Count yourself as dead to sin. Apply it. Don't go back to the tomb where you were dead. Leave it like Jesus did. He didn't go back to the place where he died. He rose again and he stayed risen again. It's like when you move house. You, don't, you, you move house. We've moved house so many times. The longest we've ever lived anywhere is here. But not once after we've moved house have we got into our new house and thought, God, let's go back. Let's, take all, let, let's, let's go back to the old place. We're glad to get all the stuff out and be in a new place. But even more so, if you've, if you've left, the, left the grave, left the tomb, you're not going to come out and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to come back. So how do we do this? How do we count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God? How, how do we apply that truth? Well, verse 12, Paul begins to explain. It starts with, therefore, and so he gives an answer. And the answer is really two sides of the same coin. The first part is in verses 12 and 13, which is this. Stop living under sin's rule. Stop living under sin's rule. Sin no longer reigns. It's been defeated. But although it no longer reigns, sin does remain. Like an old slave master trying to master us. That's what sin is. It's like the the slave master that kept you in chains and beat you up and ran you hard. 
He's still alive. And he's saying, come. Come, come, come be my slave. But verse 12, do not let sin reign. Do not let it reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. It's, it, this becomes very practical, doesn't it? We all have bodies that are mortal. No one here has a resurrected eternal body. So this speaks to all of us, doesn't it? And in these mortal bodies, we are tempted by sin. And the ruler of sin wants us to do wrong. And so we're tempted to sin. And it says, come back. Come back to your old life and your old ways. But our response to sin needs to be this. No, I am no longer ruled by you. I don't have to follow my evil desires anymore because I'm alive to God. I'm not going to go back to my old master who mistreated me and who made life miserable. Sin only has power over you if you give it power, Christian. If you're not a Christian, well, sin has dominion over you. But if we're Christians and we've been raised with Christ, sin has no power over us unless we give it to him. Notice that it is, this is a war. A war where we have control over our bodies to say, no, I'm going to fight this battle. And because, as we looked at this morning, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's a battle we can win. Sin is defeated, but it's still around. And how often we give sin power by giving ourselves over to wickedness. That's what verse 13 means. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. In other words, be radical. Don't offer any thoughts, any of your vision, any of your hearing or speech or abilities. Don't offer your bodies in any way to be instruments of wickedness because sin is no longer your master. You are dead to that now. But there's a positive side. Paul doesn't just say, do not do this. Notice the end of verse 13, the other side of the coin. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. We're dead to sin, alive to Jesus, so say no to sin. Don't offer your bodies in that way, but offer rather every part of yourself. Notice the difference there. He says, don't offer any part of yourself to sin, but offer all of yourselves to God. You see? Don't give sin one single part of yourself. Not one single moment, not one thought. Don't give it to, give it to sin, but give all of yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. This tells us that we can either use our bodies for wickedness or for righteousness. And as Christians raised with Christ, there is only one choice that we ought to be making, isn't there? All of us have different abilities, different personalities, different bodies. We need to use them as instruments of righteousness. If you're a stubborn person, you can use this to always be right. 
or to stand firm for the truth and not be moved when it matters. If you are musical or a public speaker, you can use this ability to show how great you are and say, look at my talent. Or you can use this to point people to Jesus. If you have bodies that are fit, you can use them for wickedness or you can use them to serve God with your energy. If you're a persuasive person or an attractive person, you can use that to get your own way and manipulate or you can use those gifts to show the beauty of Jesus Christ. If you are young, you can offer yourself and your time and your energy in wasting it away in sinful endeavors or doing nothing at all. Or you can make your younger years count for Jesus Christ in service of him. If you are older, you can use your experience to, to moan and to point out what's wrong with the world today. Or you can disciple others who are younger than you and be a godly example. Whatever stage of life we are, however fit or unfit or healthy or unhealthy we are, we can use these mortal bodies as instruments of wickedness or righteousness. And as Christians, we are dead to sin and alive to God. And so we say, I'm going to offer this body, all of it, every part of me, as an instrument of righteousness for God's glory. That's how the resurrection impacts us every single day. Because every single day we need to wake up in the morning and count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. There are so many examples we could give. But the point is this. The resurrection means we have a new master. A master who is calling us to fight against sin. But we're not fighting alone. We are alive to God. We have the spirit of God living in us. We have all that we need to say no to the old master of sin and yes to the reign and rule of God in our lives. Paul summarizes for us in verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Why is sin not our master? Because we're not under the law. That means we're not trying to earn our way to heaven by our good works, only for God's law to show us that we are not good enough. We are under grace. We are a people who say, I am not good enough, but I know someone who is, Jesus Christ, and he died for my sin. And this God who is so gracious has freely given us all that we need to fight against sin. He has given us himself. So at this Easter time, let us remember that the resurrection of Jesus is not only a fact in history. Of course, that it is. It's not only our guarantee of eternal life. Praise God, of course, that it is. But it makes life for the Christian worth living here and now as we count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And just to, to, to end, we're looking here at slavery and masters. And yes, we're being told, in a sense, 
Well, in a real, very real way, we are now slaves to a different master. That master is God. But he's a good master. He's a master who makes demands of us for our good and for his glory. And we're, going to, we're, we're all slaves to one master or another. Praise God that we could be slaves to a good and gracious heavenly father who loves us so much. He died on the cross for our sins and has given us all that we need to live the life he calls us to. Jesus Christ is risen and he lives in us. We are raised with him. So brothers and sisters, this, this week, this day, let's live that out as we are dead to sin and alive to God. Well, we're going to close uh, with uh, see what a morning. And in the final verse of that, it says, we are raised with him. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. So let's stand as we respond with our final song. <laughs>